We are starting our series, Redemption, this morning. We're going to begin in John chapter 13, because that begins with the Last Supper. Uh, We're going to work our way through the Passion Week towards the resurrection of Jesus in John chapter 20 on Easter Sunday, where we're going to celebrate real big. I hope that you all took a flyer and invited somebody. Uh, The series is just to get us headed towards the resurrection. Get us headed towards Easter Sunday. We are looking forward to the resurrection of Jesus because the resurrection changes everything for you and I. Amen? Amen. It does. I can tell I'm preaching to the right crowd because you guys need to hear how the resurrection changes everything for us. The gospel of Jesus does not stop at the cross with the forgiveness of our sin. That's excellent. That's wonderful. But that's not the end of the story. The cross opens the door and provides us passage to the end to enter into eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's why we celebrate on Sunday, make it a big celebration. So uh, as you're finding John chapter 13 in your Bible, here we go. Uh, Jesus is our example of what eternal life in Jesus Christ looks like lived out here on earth. So I titled this Living to Love Others is probably a a familiar passage, a, 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 I started to say a peculiar, a familiar, I can't even do that intentionally. It just is an accident from time to time. It's a familiar story. Uh, the reason I'm telling you you need to take notes is because I abbreviated this down to nine points. <laughs> you know, whenever you go to preacher school, they, you take a class called uh, homiletics. And that's where they teach you to have three points and how to develop each point and have a poem with each point and da 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 Well, I didn't take that class. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> so you guys have to bear with me because uh, I'm just, hey, it, the, the text breaks down to nine reasonable points. And so I'm hoping you will write them down. I'm not going to draw application with every one of them because we just don't have time to do that. And so I'm relying upon you and the Holy Spirit to draw your own application because often the application that I would give you is not the application that you need. You need to apply scripture to your own life. Amen. I wasn't leaving that for you. That one was mine. All right. This story begins. Here we go. Living to love others. The story begins at the Passover meal. If you're not familiar with the Passover meal, Passover was the annual holiday set apart for the Israelites to observe the exodus from Egypt back when they were in slavery particularly the passing over of the Israelite firstborn males when the firstborn of Egypt was killed in the last of the ten plagues. I'm not going to take time to explain all that. That was another sermon a long time ago. Hopefully you got it. Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem now, and they're about to share the Passover meal together. That's where we're picking up the story in John chapter 13, and I already have point number one for you. It is... Love to the very end. Are you with me? I'm going to give you a second to write that. Love to the very end, John chapter 13, verse 1. And I know that you guys are all participating and paying attention, so I want you to read verse 1 with me because it's very important. Here we go. We're going to have it. We have it on the screen. So I have to tell you what happened this morning. I'm already distracted. We haven't got to verse one and I'm distracted. So uh, Danny Montoya typically runs our screen for us and she's a pro. She's there every Sunday, faithful, faithful, faithful. Well, she had family stuff going on today. So Tim said, Tim Merrillat, he's going to fill in. So he's our, our substitute. And All right, good. We're all set. We have a plan. This morning he texted me, Brent, I'm sick. So 
because there's preacher's kids. <laughs> we abuse them. Like, Bethany, you just got volunteered. We're going to teach you how to do it. You're going to get the 30-second version. So the reason that I'm telling you this is that uh, I showed Bethany how to do it, and I don't know how to run it. Uh, so... <laughs> If there's a mis- if I told her a while ago, I said, if you do it perfectly, that's a miracle. So if you mess it up, that's expected. That's perfectly fine. And so far, she's done an excellent job. And so I'm very proud of my daughter. Uh, yes. And she hates it whenever we draw attention to her. Everybody look at Bethany. She's turning red. John chapter 13, verse 1. I want you to read it out loud with me. Read it like you actually know what's going on. Here we go. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Isn't that an awesome scripture? (laughs) And listening to you guys all read it together does my heart good. In my opinion... Verse 1 is setting up the following eight chapters of the Gospel of John. It's not just introducing the story, it's introducing this whole Passion Week. Jesus is aware of God the Father's timetable. It was coming time for Jesus to return to heaven to go be with his Father. Now that, that I would assume, for Jesus is desirable. That's a good thing. He gets to go back to heaven to be in heaven. That seems more desirable than being here on earth. He gets to go back to heaven to be with his Father. Uh, But here's the tension in this text, is that while Jesus' time here on earth is coming to an end and he gets to go to heaven, his time here on earth is coming to an end and he's going to have to leave the disciples that he loves deeply. You with me? So Jesus has spent significant time with these 12 men. He uh, spent a night in prayer, and he went out and he chose them. He has been teaching them. He has been doing ministry with them. He's been living with them. He's been sharing life in every possible way with them. He has met their families. He's stayed in their homes. He's met their mother-in-laws. He's shared... That was kind of funny, wasn't it? He's shared meals with them. He's shared long evenings of telling big stories and laughing and joking together. He has this great relationship with them. And now Jesus is sharing his, what he knows, is the disciples don't know, but Jesus knows that he is sharing his last earthly meal with these 12 men that he loves. Jesus is aware that all that is left is to love them to the very end. Verse 2, you don't have to read this with me. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. Hmm. And that he had come from God and would return to God. There's so many things going on here. You've got to get your brain around the setting of this situation. Jesus knows his time is up, that he's about to return to the Father. We saw that in verse 1. Jesus loves his disciples and is fully aware of the chaos that is about to ensue. Not just in the next three days, but for the rest of these 12 men's lives... There's going to be chaos. 
The devil has already made his play. Satan's plan is in motion. The idea is already in Judas' head. Jesus enters this final night here on earth with the confidence of a son who completely understands that his father has entrusted him with the family, with all of the family, with all of the family and all of the family business as well. Are you following me? And, well, he's actually entrusted Jesus with everything for all eternity. That's a lot, isn't it? God the Father had given Jesus, entrusted Jesus with all authority over all things. Ephesians chapter 1, 10, one of my favorite verses, it tells us, and this is the plan, Paul's writing. This is the plan. You want to know what the plan is? Paul has a plan. Here's the plan. The plan is that at the right time, everyone say the right time, not a moment too soon, not a moment too late. You know that God is always the last one to show up on time, right? This is whenever you pray, God provide, God provide, and nothing, nothing, nothing. And at the last second, God provides. <gasps> that's, what that, it's, that's God. At the right time, He will bring, He would be God, the Father. He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. He leaves nothing out. Everything is being brought into perfect unity in Christ Jesus. It's a mind-blowing idea. Jesus has all authority, and he knows where he comes from, and he knows where he's going. Now, I'm not a psychologist. I took a psychology class one time, but I know enough about life to know that if you know where you're coming from and you know where you're going, you got a pretty good handle on life. When you don't understand where you've come from and you have no idea where you're going, things get chaotic, right? Jesus enters this last supper, his final evening with the 12 men that he loves on this earth, knowing where he comes from, from heaven, and he knows he's going back to heaven. He's confident in that. And he knows that God the Father has entrusted him with authority over all things. And so this meal is a pretty weighty meal in that it's his last meal here on earth. But he enters it with all the confidence of his heavenly Father. Jesus is uniquely empowered to love his disciples even though there is coming chaos. Now, if it were you and I, and we were having our last meal with our children, we might be a little bit emotional, right? My wife says I'm the tin man, but if I knew that I was, because I have no emotions, anyway, if I knew I was having my last meal, I would probably be hysterical. Jesus goes into this with all the confidence of eternity. He goes into this with all the confidence of authority over all things, over all time. It's pretty magnificent, isn't it? You got the picture? All right, so he's going to love them to the end. Point number one. Point number two, love by humbly serving others. <laughs> Not only do I have a bunch of points, they're long points. That's why I gave you room to write this morning. Verse four, so because of all that I just explained, are you with me? Some of you are looking at me like, where is he going with this? 
So, because you have Jesus, knowing that his time here on earth is up, God the Father has given him all authority, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that he had around him. Jesus, the Son of God has been bestowed with all authority over all things. And what does he do with it? He takes his clothes off and wraps himself up with a towel and starts washing the feet of the disciples. And the first thought that comes to my mind is, why? Give me all power. Give me all authority. We'll do some stuff. Don't look at me like I'm the only one in the room thinking that way. Jesus has all power. He has all authority. His time on earth is, I mean, wait, he could mess up some stuff and have a lot of fun. This is his last night. Why? Why would Jesus use all that God has given him to get down on the floor and wash the, de- the, the dirty, stinky feet of these 12 men? I'll tell you why. Because he loves them to the end. That's why. He loves them, and he's about to leave them, and he wants them to know that there is nothing that can get in the way of me loving you, not even being the Son of God. You have in this picture, you have Jesus. You have the Messiah, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. You have the Son of God. In John chapter 1, he calls him the Word. You have God incarnate. He came and became flesh. And he disrobes, humbles himself, and performs the humble task of washing the feet of his disciples. Jesus didn't just see a task that needed to be done and did it. He saw, let me back up because some of you didn't get all of that. I can tell by the way you're looking at me whether or not you got it. Jesus didn't just see a task that needed to be done. Jesus saw 12 men that he loved, and so he served them. Are you with me? There's a difference between seeing a task and seeing someone you love. Jesus has previously taught these men that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, was not about position and power, but it's about humbly serving and loving others. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it says, For even the Son of Man, talking about himself, Jesus, came not to be what served, good job, bunch of soapers. Y'all know exactly what it says but to serve others, to give his life. Everyone say life, life. as a ransom for many. A little side note. Uh, part of the reason we're doing this series is because I wanted to teach about the importance of us living for Christ. It's easy for us to talk about dying for Christ. Sometimes we talk about, there, there's a lot of, uh, in our culture, especially in our military culture, we talk about dying with honor and how important that is. I don't want to diminish that at all, but we alienate the idea of living with honor. Living for Christ Jesus. Oh, sure, to die is great, but we need to concentrate a little bit on the living too, Right? That was now I just blew my whole series. I've got nothing for the next six weeks. <laughs> yeah. 
The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life for the ransom of many. There are no politics in this picture. There's no pretense. Because if there were, Jesus would not be the one on the floor with the towel. There's no rules. There's no laws. There's no requirement. It is as simple as Jesus saw an opportunity to serve those that he loved. So he did. It's that simple. He washed the feet of his closest friends. Number three. Number three. Love by patiently explaining. (laughs) Oh, man, I'd much rather wash people's feet. (laughs) Have you ever been to a foot washing? I have one time. Weird. Some churches do it as as part of, you know, they believe in communion, water baptism, and foot washing. Hey, there's a reason I don't go to that church. <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kidding, okay? You guys right. Keep writing. 3. Love by patiently explaining. Verse 6. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, so are you picturing this? I started to read through the whole text so you get the picture and then go back through it, but we just don't have time. So, so you have to picture what's going on. Jesus has taken off his regular robe. He was he had on his dinner robe. And he took it off, he put his towel on, he's down, he's washing everybody's feet, and he comes to Peter, okay? So whenever he came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? (laughs) Now, we don't know how many people he's already washed their feet, but this is a knucklehead question, Peter. (laughs) He's like three or four people into this, he's washed three or four people's feet. He comes to Peter, and Peter's like, what are you doing? (laughs) I'm washing your stinky feet, Peter. (laughs) Yeah, so whenever Jesus comes to Simon Peter, Peter says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. Okay, so now we don't know what's going on. Verse 8, no, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Uh Uh-oh, something changed. So verse 9, Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my feet, wash, pardon me, then wash my hands and head as well, not just my feet. Jesus is humbling himself, taking care of his disciples, more so than Peter is comfortable with. He's like, hey, Peter's a politician. He knows, he understands rank and order, and he knows that Jesus is not the right person to be washing everybody else's feet. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, it, make, it made Peter uncomfortable, evidently, in the story. You, you probably know the feeling. You've been in a situation where someone that you hold in high regard uh, offers to serve you, and it makes you uncomfortable. Have you ever been there before? Somebody's taking care of you, and you really feel like you ought to be taking care of them. It's just not natural. It's not normal. There's, uh, we're very conscious of hierarchy in our, uh, in our minds. So, so, you know, we, we, it, we go into a room, and we immediately try to figure out what is the pecking order, who serves who, who's in charge, who's not, who's the punk, who's the puke, and who's, in, who's the president. Just worked. You understand what I mean, though. And so then whenever the person who's the most important starts serving everybody else, it's like, wait, that doesn't seem right. So Peter, he resists Jesus' kindness. But then Jesus makes this foot washing uh, about spiritual things. He turns it into a spiritual analogy. He says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. So now what Jesus is doing in the physical realm is actually illustrating what Jesus is doing in the spiritual realm. Does that make sense? 
All right, so now it's not just about dirty feet. This is about dirty hearts. This is about sin. And so Jesus says, I'm, if I don't wash you, then you can't belong to me. And then Peter, Peter is all in. Don't just wash my feet, but wash my hands and wash my head. In fact, I'll just go get the bathtub and we'll do it right. But Jesus, you, you know, that is, that is Peter. Peter is typically, he's all or nothing. It's, it's, he's the one, I'll get out of the boat and walk on the water. He's crazy. Can you imagine playing poker with him? I mean, he would either fold every time or bet everything. And here, Peter says, I am folding and you're not touching me. And then Jesus explains and he goes, oh, no, no, then I'm all in. If you're going to wash me and make me clean so I can belong to you, then here is everything. Okay, so that's what's happening. Verse 10, Jesus replies, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. Now, the picture is, Peter, you took a bath this morning. You're clean. You walked around all day. Your feet are dirty. I don't need to scrub you all. That just, just the feet is all we're doing, Peter. And you disciples, watch what happens. And you disciples are clean. He's speaking in a spiritual sense. But not all of you. Uh-oh. Verse 4, 11. My mind is somewhere else. Verse 11, for Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. Can you put yourself in Jesus' towel for a minute? Jesus knows. And back up. Jesus loves these 12 men. He loves them, and he's going to serve all 12 of, 12 of them by washing all 12 men's feet. But he knows that one of them is going to betray him relatively soon. A couple of things happening here. Jesus is giving a little peak for us as to how this cleansing of sin works. Uh, once they have been cleansed, they don't need a complete washing or cleansing over again, but they do need to take care of the daily dirt. Do you understand the analogy? We come to Christ, He washes us, He sets us free, forgives us of our sin. Doesn't mean that you never have to come to church ever again. Doesn't mean you ever have to, you, you don't have to ask for forgiveness ever again. No, there's a little daily dirt that needs to be dealt with, dude. Are you with me? Yeah, we come back, we do our soap, and we read God's Word, and we're like, hey, there's some part of me that needs a little extra scrubbing today, and so I don't need to be saved again, but I do need to deal, deal with some sin in my heart. That's, that's the analogy. Just because you've been redeemed doesn't mean that there's no need to seek cleansing from sin that happens occasionally. We need to take care of that. That's, uh, let's get back to our story. Verse 4, or number 4. I'm stuck on 4, aren't I? Four, love like Jesus and live in God's blessing. Actually, I see I could have had 10 points, but I put those two together. Love like Jesus and live in God's blessing. We live, we have made Christianity a blessing culture, right? Even if you're totally an unbeliever and somebody sneezes, you say, Gesundheit. Oh, yeah, you say, God bless you. <laughs> 
Yeah, you say, God bless you. And even in public, you sneeze and somebody, a stranger will say, God bless you. Because we live in Christianity is a blessing culture. So we live like Jesus, we love like Jesus, and live in God's blessing. Watch what happens. Verse 12. After washing their feet... After washing their feet, Jesus is done. He put on his robe again, and he sat down, and he asked. You know he's got everybody's attention, right? Jesus just washed our feet. This is weird. What's he going to do next? Do you understand what I was doing? They're all looking at him. You call me teacher, which would have been high honor. You call me Lord. And you are right, because that is what I am. So Jesus addresses the disciples' perception of hierarchy. From an earthly perspective, Jesus was a teacher to be held in high regard and respected. From a spiritual perspective, Jesus was Lord, worthy of their submission and their servitude. But now, this one who is our teacher and this one who is our Lord has washed our feet, has humbly served us, and then asked his disciples, do you understand what I'm doing? (laughs) No, we don't understand what you're doing. The most honorable person in the room, the most honorable person on the earth, got it? is washing the stinky feet of the lowliest men on earth. No, we don't understand. The perfect and holy, sinless Son of God is washing the feet of fallen, sin-filled humanity. No, we don't understand what you're doing, Jesus. This makes no sense. Verse 14, Jesus says, And since I, your Lord and teacher, he doesn't get away from the hierarchy, he's still his Lord and teacher. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Jesus has very simply, very clearly demonstrated that no other human is above serving another human. That messes with our theology, doesn't it? It messes with things that we unconsciously do in church by, well, he's the pastor, so we have to listen to everything he says. So my class this morning, we're to a doctrine part in my class, and I'm like, listen, you guys have to do your own doctrine. Your doctrine's between you and God, because pastors will lead you wrong, parents could lead you wrong, people you listen to, friends and family can lead you wrong, music that we sing sometimes in church and out of church can lead you wrong. I mean, you need to get your Bible out and figure this out between you and God. We're all standing on equal ground. No human is above serving any other human. Well, we'll we'll get back to that in a minute. If God, the creator of man, if God, Jesus, the creator of man, is willing and able to wash the feet of men, then we, you and I, we have no excuse for not putting aside our pride 
our selfishness, our embarrassment to live, to love others just like Jesus did. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. If Jesus can do it, then we can do it too. Now, as I'm going through that, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, no, no, wait, there, there's, uh, I'm fine with, I can serve everybody and anybody. I, but there's a, aren't there a few exceptions? You know, those people who just make you crazy. What about them? What about those people that are, have betrayed you or that they don't deserve my forgiveness or that they're just, you know, they're knuckleheads. Don't look around right now, especially don't look at your spouse. <laughs> don't eyeball, don't evil eye one of your kids at this point. Yeah. There's got to be some exceptions to this rule. So let's see what Jesus does here. He says, verse 16, he says, I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master. All right. Nor is the message more, messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So he, he keeps the hierarchy in place. However, loving others enough to serve them, got to wait for that to sink in, loving others enough to serve them. Remember, Jesus didn't see a task that needed to be done. He saw 12 men that needed to be loved. Loving others enough to serve them is not an issue of importance or greatness. Serving others does not diminish one's position at all. The king of kings comes and washes the feet of his disciples. Does that make him less the savior? No. If anything, these men are standing, sitting there looking at Jesus thinking, there is no way I would have humbled myself like this man has humbled himself. He is even greater in our eyes. Jesus loved them, so he humbly served them. Served them. It's that simple, and that is our example. And God blesses those who follow Jesus' example in seeing people that you love, so you serve them. Then you live in God's blessing. So how do I get to live in God's blessing? By loving those around you to the degree that you would serve them. Well, Brent, that's a way simple message. Yeah, it is. It's a simple message. It's an incredibly difficult principle to live out in our lives, right? Verse 5. Love those who will betray you. What? Verse 18. Love those who will betray you. Here we go. Jesus, he says, I am not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. Remember I told you earlier, Jesus had chosen these 12. But this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. A prophecy is about to be fulfilled at this table, everybody. So listen, pay attention to what's going on. Jesus says, I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones that I have chosen, but this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. Wait. Uh, so, we just read Jesus washed all of the disciples' feet, right? Yes. And now he's sharing his food. What he tells us is that he's going to be sharing his food with a disciple who is going to turn 
against him, right? Yes. Well, we all know he's talking about Judas, right? Jesus humbly washed the feet. He knew what Judas was up to. He knew that Satan had already planted a little thought into Judas's mind. Jesus knew what was going to happen in just a couple of hours or minutes or whatever. Jesus humbly washed the feet of Judas. Judas, the one that the devil has already influenced. Jesus is sharing his chips and salsa with Judas. Yeah, you're feeling it now, huh? When we talk about uh, bread with no yeast, it's like whatever. Share your, share your chips and salsa. Now this has some value to it. Wait a second. This guy's about to betray me and he wants to eat my chips and salsa? No, uh-huh. that is not right. But that is exactly what Jesus wants us to see in this story. Because as long as it's people we love and people who love us, we will serve them happily. But whenever it's people we love who are going to betray us, mm -mm. (laughs) that's when you grab the chips and salsa and scoot them to your side of the table. (laughs) And then you grab your fork and lean forward. (laughs) I dare you to reach into this basket of chips. I will stab you. It's a good thing I'm not Jesus, huh? Jesus, he's still working on me. That's my theme song, right? From Children's Church. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Jesus lives. He doesn't just die to show that he loves us. He lives. Even at the moment that he's sitting at the table with his betrayer, Judas, Jesus lives to love others in a way that is not normal for a regular person like me or you. I know how you are. Jesus continues to love his disciples even though he's going to be betrayed and we know he's also going to get denied. He's going to love them to the end even when they're not going to love him back like we think they should. That's supernatural, isn't it? is for me. Maybe I'm the only one that gets offended and doesn't want to love people every once in a while. Number six. Here we go. You guys are seeing too much of this side of your pastor this morning. All right. Number six. Love makes the gospel more receivable. Hmm. Where are we going? We're going to kind of switch gears. Jesus says, he says, I tell you the truth. Everyone say truth. This is the truth. Jesus tells us the truth. Anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me. And anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. Now, this seems like it's all of a sudden he goes on a different path and a different idea, and he inserts this crazy idea in the middle of this. But watch, watch what's going on. Jesus has just instructed his disciples in verse 15. He says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done. And what was the example? To serve others, to love them and serve them. Love them to the degree that you are willing to humbly serve them. To live to love others. Live to humbly serve others. Now, why is that important? It has an evangelistic bent to it. Because those who live to be heard, those who live to be seen... You're going to relate to this 
are difficult to listen to. <laughs> oh, man. I know by the little giggle some of you are thinking about people. Oh, my, so-and-so and so-and-so, they're hard to listen to because they always talk and they have to be heard all the time or they have to be seen all the time. So then whenever they're talking or whenever they're trying to be seen, you know what you do? You tune them out, don't you? However, people who live to love, they have a way of getting into your heart and getting into your head. Those who live to love are much more easily welcomed We want to listen to them. The message of Jesus is best received from those who live to love others. Are you with me? Our text is, I tell you the truth, anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me. And anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. So if, if the world is going to receive the message of, of Jesus Christ, if they're going to receive the gospel, then you as my messenger has to come as a humble servant who is living to love other people. Because if you bring the gospel on any other type of relationship, it's going to fall flat. Yeah. Evangelism is not just proclaiming the gospel. Evangelism is actually living the gospel. (laughs) It's like God did that. Isn't that beautiful? Number seven. Number seven. Love those who betray you. Wait, didn't we already do that one? All right. You caught me. I can't be original even with nine points. We repeat points. Because we're back to the text that we have a problem here. Love those who will betray you. Maybe it's because God, whenever he's telling this story, he knows we need to be told twice to love those that betray us. Verse 21, now Jesus was deeply troubled. And he explained, exclaimed, exclaimed. So this is, he's, he's raising his voice. He's probably sweating a little bit and he's a little bit passionate He stands up at the table where everybody else is sitting down, trying to figure out what Jesus is up to. Is he losing his mind? Now Jesus was deeply troubled, troubled in his spirit, the translation says. And he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you, one of the 12 that I chose, one of the 12 that I've taught, one of the 12 that we've shared life together, one of you eating out of my basket of chips and salsas, fixing to betray me. Then, sorry, verse 22, the disciples looked at each other. Let me back up for just a second, just because that was good. Jesus is deeply troubled. He's not angry. His heart is hurt. He's crushed that one of these men that he loves is going to betray him. Are you with me? There's a difference. Okay? So then, the disciples looked at each other. Jesus has lost it. Wondering whom he could mean. Who at this table? Because we all get along. We're brothers. We're fellow ministers of the gospel of Jesus. We're, we've, been into this, we've been in this together for a while. We've seen miracles. We've listened to the teachings of Jesus. Who at this table would betray Jesus now? The disciples looked at each other wondering whom he could mean. Verse 23, the disciple Jesus loved. Do you know that that's code there? That's kind of fun. Who's writing this? Who's John? This is John's gospel. So he's not arrogant enough enough to say John was sitting next to Jesus. He says, the disciple that Jesus loved. 
more than the others. Just saying. <laughs> That's what's going on. That's the honest truth. The disciple that Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. So John, and you got a picture too, he's significantly younger than the other disciples. So he's sitting next to Jesus at the table, and Simon Peter, verse 24, because Simon Peter, we know him, he's the one that jumps out of the boat, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet, no, you're going to wash all of me, and okay, you're going to wash my feet, and you know, he's just, ooh, he's wired, okay? So Simon Peter, he's not going to let this go. Jesus has said, one of you sitting here is going to betray me, and so Simon Peter's looking at John, the one that Jesus loved, as opposed to the rest of them. <laughs> it's really funny, isn't it? Because you start seeing people's personalities in this. Verse 24. So Simon Peter motioned to him, that would be John, to ask, to ask him, uh, who is he talking about? So verse 25. So that disciple, John, uh, leaned over to Jesus and he says, Lord, who is it? Who are you talking about? And Peter's a big chicken. He didn't want to ask. So he gets John to ask. Verse 26. Jesus responds, it is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, so he takes the bread that they're sharing for the Passover meal, and he dips it into the bowl, probably in wine, I'm making an assumption. He dips it in the bowl, and he gave it to who? Because y'all are reading the screen behind me. Uh, he gives it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. Verse 27, when Judas had eaten the bread... Satan entered into him, and then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. Now, Jesus, in this, his heart is broken. He is deeply troubled at what is going on. However, verse 28, none of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Bunch of clueless guys. There's food on the table, we're going to eat, it's going to be fun, we're celebrating the Passover, we're going to pray together, we're going to sing together, it's going to be wonderful. And now Jesus is acting kind of strange, acting like he's hurt, and now he's talking to Judas and there's something strange happening. So none of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant, meant since Judas was their treasurer. Some thought that Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. Got your picture in your brain? The devil himself had influenced Judas to betray Jesus to his death. Jesus knew, he was aware, that Judas was going to betray him. Yet Jesus, I believe, I'm, I'm inferring a little here, I believe that Jesus intentionally makes sure that he set uh, probably a cross, or, or maybe he set, he set by Judas. He intentionally positioned himself to be close to Judas so that they would share a dish. He did. I believe that Jesus let Judas have, I'm speaking metaphorically, but I hope you get the, the point. I believe that Jesus let Judas have the last chip in the basket and the last little bit of salsa. And if you're sitting at my table, I want you to know that if I let you have the last chip, it's heartfelt. <laughs> so I want you to understand what I'm saying here. Jesus sat next to Judas, knowing that Judas is going to betray him. And then Jesus said here, uh, not only have I washed your feet, but you take the last of the chips. You, like, you, you take the last of the salsa. There was guacamole, 
this story might have gone a different direction. (laughs) I believe that Jesus let Judas have the big half of the last tortilla. I'm telling you, this is serious. I believe every time Jesus intentionally served Judas, he took the bread, literally, he took the bread, he dips it in the wine for Judas, and he hands it to him. Something that a a servant would have done for a superior. A superior would not have done that for a servant. But here you have the Son of God, the Christ, the one who's about to go to the cross for the sins of Judas. And he humbly serves Judas one final time. So what can you say with Jesus being intentionally kind and intentionally loving to to Judas? Can you say, well, uh, you're a jerk, Jesus. No. No, we can't. Jesus loved his disciples to the very end. Even those that were difficult to love. I'm waiting for you guys to make the application in your own lives. Don't look at me like there's people that are not... uh, Don't look at me like there's people who are easily loved in your life or only easily loved. Do you follow what I'm saying? You guys have some Judases in your life. The example is for us to love them to the end. Number eight. Number eight. So twice, we're going to be loving to those that betray us. Number eight, loving others ultimately glorifies God. Oh man, we're on the upswing now. Verse 31, he says, As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said. So nobody else really understands what's going on. Jesus is going to continue to teach, okay? He says, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter his glory. The disciples don't really understand what's going on, but kind of figurative and we we can definitely understand what's going on the time has come for the son of man jesus to enter his glory and god the father will be glorified because of him because of the son and since god receives glory because of the son he will give his own glory to the son and he will do so at once there's this inner exchange of glory so uh, I'm reading this, and I'm like, oh, that's all jumbled up. So, so here's the deal. The one who was on the floor, back to the picture, the one who was on the floor washing feet earlier is the one now receiving and giving glory to God the Father. That's pretty cool, huh? The most humble man in the room is the one exchanging glory with God. Not not Peter who knows it all. And not Judas who has the money. Not any of the other guys that have been involved in performing miracles. It's just Jesus, the one who comes and humbly serves, is now exchanging glory with God the Father. Are you wrapping your mind around that? Yeah. You want to be involved in the glory of God? Live to love others to the degree that you would serve them because it brings glory to God. Verse 33, dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. Uh, Dear children, Jesus is sitting at a table of adult men 
And he says, dear children, I will be with, because they don't understand anything, I will be with you only a little longer, and as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. Now, I'm going to leave that alone for the sake of time, but there's, Jesus is going. The disciples, they want to follow him, but he's telling them, you're not going to be able to follow me, at least not right now. Number nine, love each other. Man, that's a profound point. They'll probably write books about this point later on. Love each other, verse 34. So, now I am giving you, Jesus is talking, he says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. He just told them, I'm leaving, you're not going to be able to go with me, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Are you ready? Love each other. Just... Not just love each other, because now he's got to define it, right? Because if we were left to love on our own terms, oh, would that be messed up, huh? Because our love is, is evil. That is. He says, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are who? My disciples. Because we love like Jesus loved. Jesus is giving, he's giving his final instructions to the 11 remaining disciples. John 13 begins with, he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. That's how we started out, John 13. And now that Jesus has eliminated the riffraff from the table... We got Judas out of here. Now we can, now that it's just the, it's the 11 disciples and Jesus, now, this is the good people, right? Now we can freely love the good folks that are left because no one else is going to be a problem. Once we get rid of that one problem person, then everybody else is good, right? I appreciate those who know the rest of the story. But that would be our assumption in our world. If I could just deal with the problematic people, then I would only have people in my circle that I love, that I like to love. <laughs> and that's just not what the Scripture bears out. We get rid of those people who are going to betray us, and you know what? There's still that person who we love and may even love us that we're still going to have to work at loving. Y'all are getting into my next sermon so now Jesus gives this new command. He says, love each other, love each other just as I have loved you because your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This would have been the first Christian t-shirt. <laughs> the problem with where we're at today is that you can go buy a t-shirt for 12 bucks, unless you get it online for $8, and you can wear it, I'm a Christian, and then you don't have to serve anybody. And then the world says, that's not a Christianity that I want. And then we come to church and we're like, oh, what are we going to do? <laughs> well, yeah, I have an idea. We should love each other, or love people to the point that we want to serve them. And then the world will see that we really supernaturally love one another. And then they will want to come to Christ. I mean, that was God's idea. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> We, we can go buy all the t-shirts in the world. We can, we can do all of the evangelism in the world. If we do not love each other, then we repel the world. 
And that's, it breaks my heart whenever people talk about the stereotype of churches fighting with each other over the color of the carpet or uh, which songs we sang or uh, how long the pastor preached. There's bigger issues at work here that we are serving one another, that we love each other, that we live to love one another to the point that we would serve one another selfish, selflessly. About messed that up, didn't I? After Jesus had given the disciples one of the most important instructions of all time, Peter is going to challenge Jesus' capacity to love again because I'm going to finish the chapter if it kills us all. Verse 36 Simon Peter asks. So Jesus says, this is a new commandment, love one another. And Peter, Peter didn't hear the command because he, all he heard was the previous part of Jesus is leaving us and you can't go with me. And G, Peter's like, wait a second. I'll jump out of the boat to follow you. I don't know where you're going now, but I'll follow you. Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? You realize Peter's 12 years old, right? He's not. He's not 12 years old. He's acting like he's 12 years old. We would never do that to God ourselves, but you know Peter. He's not here to defend himself, so we'll throw him under the bus. But why can't I come now, Lord, he asked. I'm ready to what? Die. Jesus, I'll die for you. Jesus answered, die for me? I'll tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even knew me. Peter, you say that you're willing to die for me. I think that Jesus is like, I believe you, Peter. But the fact of the matter is, I need you to live for me. Good sermon, Brent. Damn, that is good. I will listen to that on Wednesday morning. Even after Jesus has flawlessly loved Peter. And I think Peter was a difficult guy to love, by the way. <laughs> it would have been for me. Jesus has flawlessly loved Peter. <laughs> I'm trying to bring this home to a real serious note, and it's just not landing, because in the, in, what's happening in my mind, here's, here's what's happening in the mind of Brent, is that Judas eats the last chip out of the basket, and Jesus is like, man, I love you. But then he looks down at the other end of the table, and Peter's got the bag of chips, and he's just... <laughs> Jesus is like, Judas is going to betray me, but Yehu down here is going to deny me. <clears throat> Poor Jesus, he has to love all these Yehus. I just feel for him. Even as Jesus has flawlessly loved Peter with chips all over his face, even after Peter has promised to be faithful to Jesus, Peter is still going to deny Jesus. Peter is still not going to be 100% loyal to Jesus. So what is Jesus going to do with Peter? Well, we'll have to see because it's in the next text. So I'm closing. Jesus has given us a new commandment, and he's illustrated it perfectly for us. Love one another as Jesus loves us. He is not asking us to die for him today. He's asking us to live for him by loving others to the degree that we would serve them. So I want to stick an idea out there. We have a, 
I think four more Sundays until Easter Sunday. I hope that you will take those little invitations, those, those half sheets, take it with you. And at some point in the next four weeks, I want you to find somebody that you will love enough to serve. And I'm not saying just invite them. I'm saying find somebody that you can uh, clean up their yard a little bit. Somebody that doesn't come to church. Maybe somebody that you don't know. Clean up their yard a little bit. Invite them to service. Pay for their groceries. Invite them to service. Buy them coffee. Invite them to service. Take them for C seniors. Invite them to service. Uh, I will be here, I promise. You don't need to invite me. My point is, is find a way to supernaturally love someone and invite them into the kingdom of God. That's pretty cool, huh? Let's bow our heads together and pray. Father, we are humbled by your word. In and of ourselves, we will never live up to the love that you demonstrate towards us. We are the Judases. We are the Peters in this story. We need your Holy Spirit to love through us so that we can love like Jesus loved. It's not in us. It's not in our nature. So we need you to come and fill us with the fullness of Christ Jesus, your Holy Spirit, so that as we interact with the world, they won't see us, they won't see our selfishness, they won't see our pride, but they will see the love and the selflessness of Christ Jesus, that they will see redemption in Christ Jesus and that they'll have the opportunity to come to the kingdom of God because we bring to them the gospel of Jesus Christ with a message of love and service and kindness. Father, I pray that you work in our hearts to be a light in our community. Be glorified in our lives so that we can partake of your glory, so that we can be a part of your eternal life, Lord. We love you. We thank you. Be praised. Be glorified in all that we do. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Bless you guys. Have a great week. Serve someone and invite them to service.